0: Welcome to The New Way, the bite-sized podcast for leaders and executives like you who want to transform their organization and inspire people to work in new ways. Forget stalled progress and disappointment from upstairs. Each episode, I reveal how to communicate your vision, drive change and become the leader that everyone loves. No BS or fluff, just the practical info that you need I'm Dr. Kate Byrne. Get ready for actionable insights, mini-execution plans, and game-changing secrets from my 20 years in the trenches, supporting senior leaders to introduce the new way. (laughs) Let's get started. People aren't going to follow you if they don't trust you. If you haven't been considering the trust level in your organisation you should be. Trust is a huge issue for organizations. In fact, I recently saw a Harvard Business Review article on a study that found high trust organizations reported 50% higher productivity and more than 100% more energy at work for their employees. If you're trusted, you're able to have greater influence on others and Influential leaders are key to successful change initiatives. That's why I am thrilled to have Melanie Marshall on the show today. Melanie is an author, speaker, and a coach who specializes in helping organizations build high-performing cultures and trust for transformation. She's doing some really cool work in this space. What do you do when you're trying to deliver a Change or Transformation program in a low-trust organization? What questions should you ask stakeholders to quickly uncover their level of trust in the organisation? What are the competencies you need to build trust at work? What's the first step you must take to become a trusted change leader? We cover all of that and more in this episode. You are going to love it. Here we go. Melanie, hello. I am so stoked that you're here and that we're chatting. (laughs) Hi Kate, it's it's actually nice to see your
1: face. I think we've been silently stalking one another on LinkedIn for quite some time. I think we have. And we listen and follow each other's work but this is the first time we've actually grabbed eyes
0: on one another so it's good, it's good. Thank you for having me, it's lovely. Oh no, I'm so thrilled that we could make this work and I want us to talk all about Trust, because I think that trust is such an important conversation to have because change leaders, whether they are leaders in the organization, change managers, part of the change team, I think the way that change and transformation programs, initiatives, agendas, whatever people want to call them, the way that they are rolled out in organizations can either really improve and support the sense of trust, you know, that your organization has, or it can really screw things up.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. And having been an, an org changing myself, I know what it's like to walk into a company or a program where, they, where they're saying, oh, yeah, we're on this transformation journey or we've got this big change coming. And straight away you've already dealing with the sins of the past where there's so much distrust because people have seen and heard it all before and and you're just like, the new bright, shiny consultant or person coming in to sell this new thing that really, they're a bit tired, they're a bit fatigued and they're they're already challenged with what they're currently doing, let alone trying to adopt or prepare
0: for something new. So yeah, trust is very foundational to that. The way that you just expressed that, we have some similar lived experiences. (laughs) So I'd love us to start at the very beginning and dive in with How do you define trust at work, trust in organisations?
1: Trust is such a personal thing. It's a personal decision that you make for something that you're not yet to experience. That's kind of how I describe it. And I know that's how a couple of other people out there who specialise in trust describe it. So it's a little bit about having faith in the unknown. The vibe that you've got on a person or the things that they've done for you. Previously, it's a feel that, okay, I'm, I'm going to accept an element of risk in, in what's about to happen, potentially, because I feel that even if it's not a great outcome, or it doesn't work exactly to plan, that I'll be okay, and that we'll be okay.
0: Yeah, so there's that vulnerability.
1: You're very much in a vulnerable spot, and I say that trust, trust is very risky. In the sense that you've got a number of things that you think about before you put your trust in someone, and there's multiple levels of trust. So you've got like a surface level trust of, oh, you remind me of somebody that I know who's a friend. I like you already. There's a, there's an element of trust that, that we're going to get along famously. A bit like you know a bit a bit like us when we met for the first time, right? We just get a vibe. Oh, yeah, I think I can trust you. You feel like you're one of my people. And there's like another level of trust where It's a little bit deeper and you're willing to risk a little more. That's that contextual piece. So I might trust you in a work setting, but but will I trust you to, you know, mind my kids on a weekend? Different types of trust. So yes, trust is an element of accepting a level of vulnerability and it's very contextual and it's very personal based on your previous experiences that you have had as well as the current experience. That you're going through.
0: Mm. So tell me, in an organization, how can I tell if an organization is a high trust organization, if trust is present in the workplace? Or people
1: talk about transparency a lot, but it's not just about transparency. There's a level of where people are able to do what they've been employed to do, as well as share information at times where it might not be particularly positive there might have been mistakes that have been made and they're willing to share that to be able to say well how can we work ourselves out of this so in it's ability to, to do the job that you've been paid to do plus at times be really open and honest around where you need some extra help or things haven't gone to plan you've made a mistake and it's okay to stuff up and be
0: honest about it. So there's a sense of safety in the workplace. That's a big clue. The trust is there.
1: Yes, there is an element of safety there for sure, for sure. And you, you can feel it because there's that more that open collaboration. Innovation is tem- tends to be much, much better in organisations that have high trust because you can take a bit of a risk. You can test and adjust ideas. You can have a go and say, oh, well, that, that didn't didn't quite work, we'll, we'll, you know, shift left, shift right, we'll, we'll do something different and we'll, we'll experiment. So you, you tend to see a little bit more experimentation, more innovation, people are happier because when you're trusted, you feel that you have freedom to be able to live your values and be the person who you want to be in the world without having to mute yourself or turn the volume down. Yeah, so the level of authenticity is much higher and you'll see You'll see a happier, more engaged, more productive, more innovative workforce in general.
0: I'm guessing that then the clues that distrust or a low level trust in the organization are kind of the opposite of that. Yep, pretty much
1: the opposite of that. You and you'll feel it. I mean, I know that you get this because culture is one of those things that you can feel very quickly. When you walk into an organization, and it's that sense of heaviness. People who are, you know, just hooked onto their computers like zombies. They, if they're not office-based, they just kind of clock in and clock out, they do the minimum. There's not a lot of energy or exuberance or joy that you sense within the workplace. And You'll have meetings where there'll be maybe one or two people talking and the rest of people will sort of sit there in silence and wait for it to end. So the other thing with a distrusting environment is that people tend to then hide things. So the truth gets hidden even further. Underperformance happens. You get what you and I would call a watermelon project. I've mentioned this in other, other sorts of interviews where it's, it, it gets reported all green and then all of a sudden you cut through at the end and it's red you go, oh, you yeah, know, why, why didn't I know that, that, that there were problems earlier? It's like, well, nobody trusted what they were able to share at this point in time was going to be used in a good way. They were, they were fearful of their own safety, their own reputation. Distrust is, is always in that environment of self-preservation as opposed to collaboration.
0: As you're describing distrust, It takes me straight to some client sites in the past and one in particular jumped out in my mind where I was like, ooh, every single clue or trait that you just mentioned was present on that site. And you're right, together, combined, it was a bad vibe.
1: (laughs) Everybody wants more trust to be in and do what they feel is right. And, yeah, when you don't have that, it's pretty miserable. I've seen it lead to some pretty significant mental health issues. I've seen it lead to some pretty horrible work health safety incidents that have occurred. I've seen sabotage of other people's work because they didn't trust them or they then didn't trust themselves. I've seen new executives have come in and have said, oh, you know, I'm now going to trust you that you can do the job and you can make decisions. But then I've seen people not be able to make decisions because they've been in the environment of distrust for so long it's like well, now I don't have any skills in that area. I don't have any confidence in it's myself. It's eroded so, their
0: self confidence. Yeah, yeah it,
1: it just totally erodes confidence. It erodes capability, and it's got a long tail to it as well. So it's not like you can come out of an environment that's really distrusting, and then all of a sudden, even though the game has changed, well, you can't automatically recalibrate instantly with this new way, as you would, as you would sort of sort of call it. So one of my clients described it as being like a canary in the coal mine where, you know, for a long, long period of time, they were always in the dark and then they got to a point where they forgot that they were the canary and they forgot that they could fly. And then even when, when I took them out of the coal mine, one client in particular, because she was in a really, really horrible space, when we got out of the coal mine, I said, to her, it's going to take probably at least six to seven months for you to realise that you can fly again. And she's like, well, you know, I've lost so much of my confidence, like I've fought so hard for so long just to be heard, but it's now feeling really weird when people are accepting my ideas. I said, exactly. I said, you don't have to keep fighting anymore because people love you. They they respect your skills, your expertise. Now you can just get on with the job and do your thing. She's like, That's really amazing. And, you know, I've I've seen it happen time and time again, not just with that one client, but many clients particularly at the middle management to sort of you know starting to get into the senior executive levels where they might have had the title that, that they could they could make change or they could really make some really good solid decisions but they weren't necessarily allowed to make those decisions without multiple other layers of bureaucracy coming down upon them so yeah recalibrating your head when you've been in an environment of distrust for so long That can happen on an individual level. But when you imagine that that happens at a team level and an organisational level, it's a hard slog. And then if you layer the sorts of work that we do on top of that, of, oh, now we're going to do a change programme. Now now we're going to, you know, take what you know and are really comfortable with and do something really different. It's like, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Through what you just shared, I think it's very clear why trust in our leaders is so very important and why trust as a concept is very important across organisations. You mentioned innovation, productivity, mental health, work, health and safety. Those are some of the biggest overarching Issues impacting organizational performance, especially across the public sector.
1: Yes, and it's incredibly tangible. When you understand the impact of trust on a full organizational context and you look at those performance measures, it, it's definitely tangible. It does have dollar figures attached, it has people figures attached, it also has tech figures attached because you can put a lot of money into you know bright, shiny new things, but ultimately People don't trust themselves or the processes in order to then, you know, really get the leverage out of what you're about to implement. It's it's not going to work anyway. Like I said, it is foundational and you mentioned something there before around, you know, leaders. I'm a massive advocate for the employee experience and I believe that you improve the employee experience first in order to get the customer experience. You can really only do that, though, if you have an approach that supports leadership at all levels. And I don't subscribe to the notion of an executive as a leader because they're not, they're an executive. People will choose to follow you or not. Other people will determine whether you're a leader, whether you're an expert in something, whether you're a specialist. Other people will, will describe that. The sense of leadership at all levels means that you can trust yourself to take some risks. You can trust yourself to put your hand up when something's not quite right or could be done better. And you can trust yourself that the way that you present that information and you work towards a different solution is something that is going to be better than what you experienced today.
0: I've heard you talk about that the first step to building trust in the workplace is being someone worthy of trust. That particularly stuck with me from a a change context in terms of change drivers, change leaders, the change team, being people that are trustworthy in the first place. And I know you have three C's that you talk about. Yes. So the three C's of trust really
1: are connection, clarity, and commitment. And that connection is very much about Who you are, who you need to be. So it's very much values based because we talk about values a lot in an organizational context. But what are the things that you value within yourself? You know, what are the things that motivate you? What are your must haves to feel that what you do in, in the world matters and that you can be happy within yourself about that? So, really being able to connect with your value set, but also being able to connect with other people's values is very, very important. And are you who you say you are? You know, if you're somebody who goes, I really value integrity. It's like, right, okay, great. that That's awesome. But it can't be integrity and telling the truth at all costs, because then you're potentially disrespecting the values or the skills that somebody else has in the mix. So how do you Connect with yourself, but connect with others in a way that will bring them into the fold as opposed to repel them. That's a big one to start with. Then the the clarity component is well, how am I going to use these values in a way that is going to really add value for myself and for other people? Where am I going to expend my energy and my effort for the greater good? Whatever that greater good is that you're going to define. And be very clear that you can't be all things to all people. In an organisational context, when we think in terms of transformation programs, people always tend to start with too many things all at once and then they can't really deliver on any of it because they've just bitten off more than they can choose. So clarity is about really creating some assurance for yourself and focusing your efforts on where they're going to matter most within a realistic construct. So that's where, you know, having an understanding of the context is really key. And then the commitment part is now knowing who we are, what we stand for, how are we going to make that work within the constraints that we've got while also reaching a little bit for the stars. And that commitment is something that it's got to be sustainable. It's got to be something that that people can run the race with you, alongside you so that you're not dragging people on the way. And that level of commitment and consistency over time is the thing that actually builds trust within yourself as well as with other people, because it's that level of commitment that creates progress.
0: Ooh, I love that. Yeah, And, I mean, change takes
1: time. That's right. Change can happen in an instant, but but the adjustment to the change often takes time. And I talk about transformation because that's what people call out. Transformation is the new black. I'm starting to see that in a whole stack of, you know, role descriptions and job titles now. And I don't think that there's a really great understanding yet of exactly what that means because transformation is many, many changes over an extended period of time to get something that you have not yet done before or experienced. That's a lot harder than just change alone.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree. That is not simply rolling out a new IT system. <laughs> That's actually identity shifting. There's a couple of different types of 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 transformation.
1: One is, you know, improving what you've got now and, and enhancing your ability to deliver and, and who you are. And then the other one is totally shifting. Your identity, changing what you do to deliver something entirely different. So that's different types of transformation and certainly different depths of trust that you
0: require for both of those. Oh, absolutely. Something that I have heard you talk about uh, are the competencies for building trust. Sometimes I can refer to it as anchors, but the competencies and you have a particular model. I'm going to say it's the heart and soul model, am I right? Yes, it is the heart
1: and soul model. When we talk about trust, people focus on honesty, reliability, and empathy, but those three are not enough. So when I read the book and also scratching my head on a whole stack of other things, I was seeing that there was a trend in the research that I was reading, the books that I was reading. There's probably about nine, nine core competencies, which are the heart and soul competencies. So those are honesty, empathy, Accountability, reliability, trust in yourself and others. And then the soul is sincerity, openness, understanding, and a lasting focus.
0: The reason why I really like these competencies is because I can see how useful they can be for change leaders and change teams as kind of something to keep in mind when they are identifying strategy and tactics and approaches to communication, to training, to stakeholder engagement, to the whole kind of shebang?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And at the time that I came up with those, I was working on a change program where there wasn't any trust. It was in a very, very challenging department where they were focusing on the bright and shiny stuff, they were you know, relying on external people to implement this change or to, to create this new thing and totally discounting the internal experience of their employees, none of who actually trusted one another. And it was, it was really hard, really uncomfortable to watch and it left quite a deep scar, I must say, going through this and focusing on that and also focusing on stuff that I'd done wrong myself yeah, okay, I've written a book on trust, but I would never consider myself an expert because of what we talked about before around it's It's very personal. It's very contextual. And if you don't know how to create trust with somebody, ask. One of the best conversations I think that anybody can ask, particularly when they're looking to implement changes within an organisation is, okay, so here's the vision, here's the roadmap, here's the plan. How much do you trust that this is actually going to work. And you'll go, okay, whatever that score is, well, the worst score I've seen is, is one out of 10. The best score I've seen is an eight out of 10. And then the follow up question is, okay, well, what would nudge that closer towards a 10? Or if the score is so damn low, like it's a two, what would take it at least to the halfway mark? And how could we partner together to make that happen. And that's that co design element that occurs. So, when you're looking as, as a change, you do use your change impact assessments. If you're not doing those change impact assessments in partnership with the people who are going to be impacted, you're already going to be way off the mark. The other thing is, now that we understand what the change is going to be and how that's going to impact our work, whether it be positive or, or slightly negative as a starting point, how are we going to work together? What is the support that you need? You know, beyond just training and comms, what is the support that you need operationally? What is the support that you need strategically? What changes in your policies, your processes, your systems? The, the current things that you're experiencing now, do we have to tweak so that you are a little bit more equipped to do something different?
0: They are such powerful prompts. Thank you very much for sharing them. I think they're great questions to include in the toolkit Because they're very, very powerful. That opening up by asking that question in the first place, cycling back around to the stuff we were talking about a little while ago, really does signal that vulnerability, that willingness to be open, that willingness for co-design, which is exciting. And with the second prompt, how and what do you need, those are questions and things that you can cover when the Change is not necessarily desirable for a particular stakeholder group or set of employees or a team. Because not every change is going to be fun. That's right. And not every change is negotiable. Not every change is going to be in the benefit of this particular group. But you can still ask those questions to create an openness and a going on the journey together. So the how we do it is up for partnership.
1: People can be scared in asking the question because sometimes the answer that you get isn't the one that you want and it can be quite confronting. But that second question around and how could we nudge that, you know, closer towards those higher numbers, it really does open up that sense of willingness and it also acknowledges when there's distrust because you can't undo that. You can't pretend that it's not there. And I'd rather find out if the score is low right now before we get months down the path. And then they go, well, we were really only just kind of ticking the boxes because oh we knew that it had to be done.
0: Absolutely. Let's just be
1: right up front, straight up. And that way we can like, let some of the steam out. Then we can um, yeah get on with the job. Since writing the book, actually, I I do it on every program with every client. I always ask those trust questions because they are the fastest way to be able to get right down to the thing that matters most to them. Not only do you have the data, but you also have the story and the meaning behind what they need and why they need it. So if nothing else, you focus on that one thing because they'll tell you what the most important thing is in that conversation as opposed to
0: give you a list of 50 For anyone listening, I encourage you to write that down right now, put it in your toolkit, hold on to it tight and use it all the time. Melanie, thank you so much for your time and this great conversation. I have loved finally connecting with you in real time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been a joy. Thank you very much, Kate. Oh, no, no, thank you. Now, please let me know for people that would like to connect with you, how can they do that?
1: So, you can find me on LinkedIn and you can also check out my website,
0: melaniemarshall.com.au. Awesome. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for this great conversation. And I hope that we talk again very soon. I'm sure we will. I'd love to turn the mic on you, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about that another time. We'll talk about that. <laughs> <another time. laughs> See you later. Thanks Thank you, again. you. See ya. Bye.